although I need to make money, what I was doing is not tenable. Like I couldn't continue mm. to do that forever. And I don't want to rush to get a couple of books out, but then they'll be really terrible. And I want this yeah. a long-term thing. So I had to say, no, maybe I do need to only write one book a year for a bit and give myself time to read, relax, remember why I love writing. And yeah, it was a, it was a whole sort of process, but I just realized I was putting too much pressure on myself. Welcome to Rights for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. I'm Pamela Cook, women's fiction author, writing teacher, mentor and podcaster. Before beginning today's chat, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Dharawal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, along with the traditional owners of the land throughout Australia, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. And a quick reminder that there could be strong language and adult concepts discussed in this podcast, so please be aware of this if you have children around. Let's relax on the convo couch and chat to this week's guest. Hi everyone, welcome to a very special convo couch episode of Rights for Women. This week I am chatting to Australian best-selling author Rachel Johns of Rural Romance and Women's Fiction fame. Rachel's been on the podcast before and you can find her episodes in the backlist. She was also a guest host for me last year when she spoke to Ellen Hildebrand, who she has long been a fan of. And Rachel and I chat from time to time on Messenger about different things, books we're reading, craft books we love, what's happening with our writing, that sort of thing. So we've known each other for quite a long time. I think our first books actually came out around the same time, back in 2012-ish. And so we've both been rural romance authors. We've both moved into women's fiction. So we have a lot in common and have a lot to chat about. So last time I was talking to Rachel about a whole lot of various things and I said, hey, we should do this for the podcast and have a Convo Couch chat. Rachel and I have just finished our chat and we didn't get through half the things that we had listed to actually talk about. But we do talk a lot in this interview about things that impact our writing lives. So the actual writing process. We talk about timelines and how we work on those for our novels. We talk about balancing time in terms of getting the writing done and fitting it in around everything else we have to do in our life. We talk about following our instincts and pantsing. Rachel talks about her readers group and we both talk about the various other things that we have going on in our lives and in our writing. This is a really interesting chat, hopefully for you guys. I know I loved talking to Rachel and I hope that you enjoy this chat between myself and Rachel Johns. Rachel lives in Perth in Western Australia. She is, as I said, a best-selling author of rural romance and women's fiction. And she's currently working on her next book, which is The Reinvention of Adeline Walsh, which Rachel also talks about in this podcast. She is on the committee for the Romance Writers of Australia in Fremantle, the conference committee this year, so is busy organising that. And she's also organising a fantastic readers retreat in South Australia, which is happening next year in May, which I'm going to be attending and a whole lot of other authors and a bunch of readers who are in Rachel's book club online. So all the things that Rachel and I chat about, all the different groups and events that we talk about in this podcast on the show notes at the end of the, the session, and they'll be on the website and wherever you get your podcasts, you'll be able to find the links. 
And as you'll hear, Rachel and I did decide that we didn't really get through everything we wanted to talk about. So if if everybody is interested enough to have us continue the conversation, do let us know if you enjoy this episode, send drop us a line, send us an email and let us know that you want that conversation to continue. And we will definitely record the second half of our chat because we did talk for an hour and didn't get that far. But I think we have covered quite a lot of topics. So grab a cuppa, sit back and enjoy this Convo Couch special with myself and Rachel Johns talking about the writing life. So Rachel, welcome to the Rights for Women Convo Couch. We've had you on before, but this time you're coming back and we're just going to have a bit of a chat. Yeah, I'm super excited. I'm always up for a chat and I love your podcast. So I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good to have you. So we chat from time to time on Messenger and talk about different books we're reading and writing craft books and what's happening. That just gave me the idea to hop on and actually have a chat and maybe people can eavesdrop and perhaps pick up a few writing tips or ideas. That's a great idea because let's face it, most of us writers are eavesdropping, you know, to hear an interesting conversation when you're out in the cafe or on top of transport or something. So, you know, I think it's a good idea. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, let's go. Let's start with um, what you're working on with your writing at the moment. All right. Well, currently I'm working on a rural romance that hopefully will be out in three. It's tentatively titled The Reinvention of Adeline Walsh, but that may change because it's semi-linked to two of my other talk of the town and something to talk about. And as you can see, both of them have the word talk in it. Yes. So if anyone listening has a great phrase with talk in it that might match, then feel free to... <laughs> You message me and tell me, but otherwise, I really like, I think the reinvention of Adeline Walsh actually sums up the theme of the book for me, and which I'll say in a second, but I don't know about you, but I absolutely find if I have a title that sort of really resonates with what the book's about, it generally, I should touch some wood while I'm saying this, yeah. helps me write better and keep me focused. Whether or not that changes later, for me, that title's quite important at the moment, and that's because... um this character, the main character, I guess it's two main characters because it's a romance and my rural romance is like you have both point of view and they're both pretty even, I guess, I try and. And one of the main characters, Adeline, she was the baddie in something to talk about and talk of the town and none of my readers liked her. So it's kind of surprising when my readers and my publisher kept saying, we need Adeline's story. And I think that's because years ago with my first book, Jilted, I wrote a follow-up called The Road to Hope, which was about I write these mean girls and I don't know, I, I'm so terrible because I know like you, I'm not a huge, this is terrible and anyone listening who's fine, I don't do this, but I think, oh yeah, I need a bad person. I'm not really going to, I don't really think about why they're the way they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Necessar- like for the actual story that I'm writing then, I don't necessarily need to know why they're like that and I don't necessarily, well, plan on never writing this story I didn't with Lauren the first one and I didn't with Adeline so I didn't I could just have fun creating this character who was a bit nasty <laughs> and and so yeah then when I have to write her actual story I have to come up with a backstory about why someone is nasty so that's always been a bit of a challenge and I managed to do it with Lauren in the road to hope I think so I had to do something different kind of here so that's what this story is what I did actually is I made her decide to join a convent and become a nun so oh, I'm well really- I'm really pushing the romance, man. I'm having a lot of fun because I thought we both know that you need conflict yeah. in books. And often in a romance, that conflict needs to be 
something that's driving the hero and her and apart. And so the fact that she has just signed up to become a nun, and she's not actually, oh, it, actually it's called a sister. Long story, I've done a lot of research. She won't go into it. Oh, wow, yeah. But, yeah, she's basically pledged a life of plastic. Chastity, poverty, and oh, now I've forgotten the other one. It's terrible. Any so, service? Service, I think. Well, I guess that's service. Mm. Anyway, yeah, she's definitely so, um, pledged to be celibate from now on. So, yeah, so I'm having a lot of fun with that. And the hero is a guy who has had kind of a traumatic past, like they often have. But he's a real, really good guy, but definitely adamantly against relationships and things like that. So he's a bit of a bad boy. She's very much a good girl. So, yeah, that was a very long-winded answer. I'm sorry, but that's what I'm writing at the moment. No, that's really interesting. That reminds me, I've been very lucky to get a advanced copy of Taylor Jenkins Reid's next book. Well, oh, fabulous. Gary Soto is back. And if anybody has read Malibu Rising, they'll know that Carrie is the bad girl yeah. in Malibu Rising. So it's similar in a way because she's taken the bad character and then written her story. So it goes right back to her childhood. And of course, she's a tennis professional and all that sort of thing. So that, so you're in good company, Rach. And Taylor Deacon's read. It's just copying me because I did it first. <laughs> <laughs> she is an amazing writer. And so I, I'm very curious to see. And I know that plenty of other people have done it as well. So it be very interesting to see how she manages to do that. But I think sometimes people have this real idea of a bad character. They get very, when we're writing books, obviously, in our fiction, in our genre, and when you have elements of romance, you want the readers to be able to identify with the characters. And so you work hard in our, you work hard in our books to make sure that they're not necessarily perfect, but there's, you can understand them. Or you like, in our genre, I think you generally do want the readers to like the main characters or to be barracking for them. So then if there's someone in the book who is causing them problems or getting in the way of them achieving their dreams, the readers really pretty quickly don't challenge them to turn it around but I think it actually from what I learned last time whether I can do it again it's actually simple little things that you have to do because we all are capable of thinking horrible things we've all seen people are done so that is actually quite and often it stems from self-confidence or a lack of something else in their life is that they believe fully for it because they're and so I think you can quickly if you give just a quick insight like in the road to hope I just said the first one that I did, the first line is something about Lauren having to watch the love of her life get married someone else. Yeah. Immediately, everyone can identify with that. So it doesn't have to be huge. So I might have gone a bit over the top with this one. What about you? What are you writing at the moment? <laughs> well, I'm actually writing a sequel to Blackwater Lake, which was my first published novel because I've never written a follow-on book from any of my books. and. Yep. It's 10 years this year since Blackwater Lake was published. Yeah. And when I sat down to think about what I was going to write next, so I finished a women's fiction book and that is with my agent and going out to some publishers. And I just felt like that was like there's some really heavy stuff in that. And I thought, oh, I'll just write something that's not going to be so heavy. Yep, yep. Saying that, going back to Blackwater Lake, there was everyone remembered suddenly there was all this grief and trauma and bushfires and whatever. Feel from the um, states that it's like the best laid plans that we just we think something's going to be light and fun and then exactly into something different. <laughs> but anyway, the good thing I'm finding, which you will be able to relate to, is I already know the characters. Like 
I've got the same protagonist. It's just the next part of her story. And there were bushfires in that, which were based on actually the 2008, 2009 Black Saturday bushfires. But since then, my family has been through, and we weren't burnt out or anything, but the place, which is our holiday house and where our, my daughter lives, they were very close to being burnt out. And so we've been through that whole bushfire experience again. So it's fresh. It was a couple of years ago. And so anyway, like you were saying about the titles being really important and how they can keep you on track. So I've called this book at the moment, which I think I'll stick with Out of the Ashes. Oh, I love and it. Great yeah. yeah. And it's just really, so it's basically about the community getting themselves back on their feet. The main character, obviously getting herself back on her feet, but her house has been the house that she came back with no intention to live in, which was her childhood home. She was just selling it after her mother's death in the first book. She had planned to sell, but now it's been burnt to the ground. But of course, in the meantime, she's been through this whole thing with the community and bushfires. And so I'm just trying to work out what's going to happen because <laughs> I don't know. Well, questions then for you because we'll talk about that. Maybe yeah. Not knowing what's happening. But so even though you've had a 10-year break between the novels in terms of writing as well as publishing, there's not that 10-year break in the book. So it goes, does the plot follow on? Follows on. Yeah. So it's about... It's probably about six weeks from when you last saw her. So she's she was actually injured in the bushfires. She's been in hospital. She's been through some recovery. It's not that long, actually. It's about three weeks. And then, yeah, so it follows straight on. So I'm going, you're just, I'm having so many questions from this. So did you reread Blackwater Lake 2 before you started? Yes. Yeah. I did yeah. when I my last book in the Bunyip Bay series, Outback Secrets. I read the four books because there had been probably five years, I think, since I'd written the other one. And just, yeah, like you said, you do know the characters, but you may have forgotten little but important things about them. Like, yeah, exactly. Something, and then you make, so that was interesting. But also, I was going to say, it's different. there's a little big time difference in terms of the world's changed a lot in terms of technology, but not only technology, but how, like, how we see people's behaviour and what we think is okay and what we think's not okay. Did you... Yeah. Anything when you were reading like Black, and I suppose, you, are you going to have an opportunity to do any edits on that? And will you, or are you just don't know? Ideally, I'd probably in an ideal like world, <clears throat> I'd probably like to bring Blackwater. I'll say that again, Blackwater Lake forward into sort of more recent times and just have the same storyline, but so I could bring in some of those changes in technology. I don't have the rights to that book. Hachette still have them, and I don't know whether this book will be independently published or traditionally published as yet. At the moment, I'm just sticking with the same time period, which was pretty much, it was, it's, there's no actual time labelled in the book. It was just written around that time. You know, that's a trick. Like that's what I'm learning, especially, I guess, with COVID and things like that too. In a couple of my books, I have specifically said the year. I don't know why off the top of my head, but there probably was a, re- but like I didn't, in the Bunyip Bay series, I haven't done that in the talk of the town and something to talk about. So although it's been, it'll have been three or four years since the previous book came out, I have also with this book that I'm currently writing, it's really only three to six months after a timeline yeah. a, a, a problem for me, like it has been in editing and stuff. And people are like, no, this couldn't have happened because that was on a Tuesday and Oh, I hate that. I believe the editor, not the read. I've had great editors get there. So I'm just going to say something, even though it's totally off topic, just thinking about I noticed in Sally Hepworth's last book, The Younger Wife, that there was no timeline, really. Well, there is. I don't know if you've read it, but the very first. Not yet. 
I want to, yeah. This is my spoilers or anything for anyone listening or you, but the first chapter I think is in, in one timeline and then it basically goes the next chapter, it says one year earlier or something like that. And there's then no mention of time, if it's been a week <laughs> or six months or whatever, until you get to the end and you catch up to the actual time. Yeah, yeah. I remember reading it and thinking, this is really clever because I didn't think, oh, how many months have passed? If you've got a pregnancy or something like that, then you've got to be a little bit more probably descriptive. But I asked Sally and she said, yeah, she's done that with all her books, which I've never noticed before. Oh, okay. But with my book, The Work Wives, which is coming out this year, there is like a slight a symbol at the beginning that says three months earlier. But then I've, be- I've had very few touchstones about the time in there. And I just found that actually it worked really well if we get so hung up in time and that really helped me. So that's just something. To yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that is good I think to think about. Timelines are like the bane of my, one of the banes of my yeah. existence. They're, I'm just, I get myself in such a muddle with them because I start off thinking I'm going to keep track of the timeline. Yeah. Then I get into the writing, completely forget about what I've decided about keeping track of it. And then when it gets to the revision stage, it's just like a nightmare and I have to sit down and map it all out again. So this time I'm trying to do like day one Saturday and I'm just writing a little heading at the beginning of each chapter, which will go later on, but just for myself so I can know, oh, how long is it since the last scene or since this particular thing happened? Uh, I'm finding that's helping. Yeah. Putting the little heading at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Do you you write in Word or Scrivener or just when you say heading? I usually write in Word, in Scriven. I just started this as a Word doc because I just thought I'm really trying to get back to just the whole pantsing thing and just to really trust myself and go, yeah, I've done this before. Some story will come out of it. Just let myself go. I interviewed Lee Kaufman for the podcast and Lee talked about her writing process where she just, even if it's rubbish, she's just writing it down, letting it, getting it out there. And then doing multiple revisions and fixing it up. And I thought, that's what I used to do. I've got to get back to that. I'm going to that. And I think you hear so much about all these different types of structures you should do and the outlining is more productive and you you have to probably do less drafts and all that kind of stuff. But the interesting thing, and Lee may have said this, I listened to that and I've listened to other podcasts about similar things, is I feel like the goal often happens in that rewriting. Not like trying to avoid that is not necessarily, again, if you're a plotter that works for you, that's great. I think it's whatever. That's part of the process. And sometimes you need more time to go over things and to let it do it like well and on it and to just, and so the book can actually become better in that revising process. So I know I'm not saying plotters don't revise. Yeah, I know what you mean. That we think, oh, we want to save time. We want to make ourselves more productive and make sure we're not wasting all this time. But I think sometimes that wasting, and I'm using better commas here, is not a waste. It, it's that time where we can really let our subconscious play. And I think when you talk about trusting your own gut and stuff, I really feel that enhancing. And it's really hard because it's scary because you never know whether you're actually going to, you really do have to trust that subconscious, don't you, and, and the gut. Yeah. And again, I think I have no idea what I'm doing <laughs> and I have no idea if I can actually make it work. And I told myself actually a couple of years ago that I was definitely going to, if this book worked at the time, that I was never going to have any doubt again because, you know, that thing is definitely you've done, but it doesn't work that way. But I do think that there is such magic in if you do pan and just, it's hard though because, yeah, if nothing's flowing, I saw your post today, are you, I'm just going to sit here at the computer 
<laughs> I also think there's a balance between sometimes sitting there. Sorry, I'm going all over the place here. No, go for it. On TikTok, um, I don't know if you follow Fiona Lucas, who does a lot of writing. She's a UN. No, but I'm little now. Yeah. TikTok. She's a UK author of women's fiction. She used to write romance, Mills and Boone, and now she's more general fiction. And she answered the question the other day. Someone had asked her, do you write every day? We've all heard that. You have to write every day. Yeah. Every day. Or do you only write when you feel like it? And I loved her answer because she said, no, I don't write every day. But I do sometimes write when I don't feel like it. And uh, that's the thing. You can't be so rigid sometimes, I think. And some days I just know that I'm not going to be productive, like I'm too tired or I'm sick. And I've learned that, I think, over a couple of decades of writing that sometimes it just doesn't pay for me to sit there and bang my head on the keyboard and that. But other times I'm just in a procrastinating mood or I'm fearful of what I'm writing kind of thing and I need to get yeah. down. And let, so, yeah, it's really become a matter of learning yourself, I think. And yeah. To find. Yeah. No, I agree. And like I'm, as I said, I had the basic idea for the start of this. I've got a bit of an idea what the midpoint burnt might be. I've got no, I'm only 30 something thousand words in. I've got no idea what the climax is going to be, like literally none, although, which I probably should know. No, um, I know the ending and sometimes I don't. Oh. And like I get, I think that's ridiculous. But yeah. but then I do know, like I have had moments where, I, like you say, if I make myself sit down and write, because I'm someone who really the ideas don't come to me until I actually start writing. I might get a bit of an odd flash if I'm washing up or gardening or whatever. But yeah. the real ideas come for me when it's fingertips on the computer and it's happening. Because I think what's happening then, I just thought of it as you were saying that actually, is you're actually in the character's skin then. Like you are in, you're writing, if you're really immersed in it, you're writing as that character. So you're, you're in the story. And for me, that's when the, the magic starts, when they, that old chestnut, oh yeah, the characters do start doing their own thing and things just happen without you knowing that they're going to happen. Yeah. And I think that's it's just. I feel like if you're in the shower or out in the walk, that's sometimes the other type. But you're right, I have to be in. In the story. And that's the thing as well, like with trusting your gut and with pantsing, I think, you know, sometimes the characters do. That sounds weird. Really no, it does. But characters or something happens on the screen, on the, yeah, the keyboard screen, but that you don't expect or you think, oh, I don't know about this. But I feel like those are the times you really have to go with it. Not second guess why you're doing that, not doubt, because often there's a reason down the track and it's really big for the story. Like I've probably said this story before on Rights for Women, so I apologize. I have an out, but my second rural romance, Man Drought, because I write very much like you do and have doubted over the years and tried to do different things, but then I have to remind myself, no, just trust the process and hope the best. I love hearing Marion Keyes because she's like that too and Leanne Moriarty. And I think yeah. There's such amazing authors who can do that, then it's not the ter- a terrible way to write. But with Man Drought, I had three, one main character who is a widow and she buys a rundown pub in the middle of nowhere. Basically, and on the first chapter, she takes her two city girl friends to just show them that this is what she's done, and you know they think she's crazy or whatever. But at the same time, I was thinking, I've got two friends here. I'm very much like you, just start with a semi, either a little bit of an idea and go. And I think I did that even more back in the start. I really had much more trust. It's interesting. I think I yes, me too. Yeah, that's something else. I think we should talk about. Oh, but yeah, I thought okay, I've got to have two. There's two people. Two friends, they need to be different. No, we can't have these three people all the same. So I did simple things. Like I, I said, okay, they've each got different colour hair. Like they like Neapolitan ice cream. Like one's got the blonde hair, one's got chocolate, one's got red hair, something like that. 
But then I thought, yeah, I better go deeper. What am I going to do? Okay, one's going to be pregnant. I didn't know why. I didn't even know she was going to have anything to do much with the story, but she's pregnant in this situation, this thing. And let's make the other one really into fashion and magazines and stuff like this. So you can tell by what she's dressing or whatever, and what she's got, whatever. And I never thought really anything about that. I didn't plan that out at all. But that baby and the pregnancy became a real like theme of the book that one of them, I guess, was having a baby and there's other, I'm not going to tell too many spoilers. Yeah, yeah. It is, and this is kind of a spoiler, but it's not. But the hero ends up delivering the baby in the pub way through the book. And that is a hugely important scene that I never planned. So if I had children, and I think it works, it really brings out his issues and his backstory and conflict, and they're, they're this hero and heroine together. Yeah, but that was just a random thing. Seriously. Yeah, and it would never have happened if you'd John, no, I can't touch yeah. that. Yeah, or I'd planned kind of something else because I was really trying to plan beforehand or I don't know. But, yeah, so yeah. I trust your gut. Yeah, and I think like you say, you've got to work out what your process is and then trust it. But like you were saying, that's how I used to write all the time. And then the last few years I've just suddenly had this thing where, oh, no, you've got to have a plan. You've got to know what's happening. You've got to – and I think part of it is that wanting to get it done quicker. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But then it just, I don't know, it just doesn't seem to work for me. So I've had, to, I'm really making myself now go back to just what feels like a natural process and just trying to really trust it. And I think we all did this in the start because we had a passion for books and reading and enjoy writing. And I think trying to fight too hard against your own process can remove any of the joy. Yeah. <laughs> and it can make you stress. If I start thinking too much about, there's got to be a midpoint and we need an exciting moment and I need to make sure I've set up this and you know with the dark mode, all those things that I've heard about know about if I start trying to write that I've seriously start panicking and I just think I can't do this or it's stupid it's not going to work so I've learned to really plot in very small increments as I write and I guess the process has evolved like this book that I'm writing is it has been different to other books that I've written I've always written chronologically but I'm even just now maybe going back to more than when I started I don't even like you, I'm trying to just let the process just do its thing. And so if something comes into my head, I'm just writing it and I'm having fun with that, whether the scene ever comes again, whether yeah. it's it, who knows. But I really think that trying to go against your process too much, A, it can take the joy away, it makes you stressed. But I think maybe is it because we see everyone else's process so much more on social media where when we first started, we were, it wasn't we've both been writing for a reasonably long amount of time. You you might see some people at conference or a writer's retreat. You might talk to a couple of friends, but you weren't constantly, it wasn't constantly your face all the other way to do something. Yeah. That's I think that's part of it. And then I think also that whole thing of not really knowing where you're going. And again, this is just going to sound stupid because I think I have this fear that, but if I just sit down and write and then I have to delete half of it, like that's all that time I've wasted, like yeah. hour, I'll never get it done. But I always wrote like that, like Blackwater Rat, what, in that one, I wrote in nano, 50,000 words in a month. So I did do that and I pretty much didn't change that plot, like I added to it, but that's that was the plot in the end. So I have done it before. I just need to realise that I can do it. No, I agree. And I think sometimes you have, if you trust your gut, you have less, it's, it is about shutting that voice off and you're more likely to um, not have to do less revisions. Like I feel like in some ways, the books where I have managed to do that and write fast because I've had to for some reason and because when you have to write really fast, then you have to shut off. I had to shut off the internal editor. Quite a bit. Yeah. 
And I think they're some of the best books I have written. I'm not trying to make everything perfect. Lucky I'm not a perfectionist. Does that help? <laughs> um, the other thing I was going to say on, on, in, in that, I think the fact is like, how long have you been like writing? I've been writing for 20 years. I did a master's in writing in 2000. I enrolled in that. So yeah, I was so, writing for 10 years before I was published. And then I've, yeah, 10 well, years I, since I, I published. 25 years now of trying and obviously in the beginning I thought I was trying but I wasn't actually really trying and then probably 2006 I got really serious so we're going up to 20 years and it took me 15 years to actually get published from it yeah but I feel like I asked actually um, again this is a lot on TikTok I've got all the rage things but I asked on TikTok the other day I said I'll own up writers like who actually enjoys writing and who enjoys having written because you know we've all heard that sort of saying that yeah Writing, they're like having written. And yes, having written is good. <laughs> it makes you feel, as you said, you feel like you've been productive, you haven't wasted time, unless you delete it all later. But I noticed that a lot of the authors who have been in the game a long time that I know or I know of, they were all quite honest in that, no, a lot of the time I don't really like it, but I love having written. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really new authors who either just published or just starting out their journey. They were like, I love writing so much. And I think that's really great. We've all been there. And I think it's because you don't have all those other voices in your head. You don't have reviews that are somewhere. Oh, yeah. you, you don't have the editors that you've worked with. You don't have the pressure to you hope that your book will get published or someone will like it. But once you've been published and you've got readers that are happy and liked your previous books, then that adds a certain amount of pressure, which is going to affect the the joy of writing because anything when you've got pressure on you, it's kind of a little bit lengthy. Yeah. And it was the publisher. It will be good enough for the publisher to do it, to publish it. So yeah. I agree. Like you've just got that one goal, I think, if you're writing with the aim, like, you know what, just want to get a book published. But the goals continually shift. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think I listened to was it Jane Green, maybe. I don't quote me on that, people, because it's probably wrong. Someone was interviewing her and saying, you've hit the New York Times bestsellers, you've done the, all these different things. And she's, yeah, but you know what? You've got to find the joy in the actual writing of the book because we both know this career is up and down, closed, windows open, and then sales are not as great as you thought. Or So in the end, you have to do it because... You can't do anything else, really. And that's yeah. like, I'm qualified to do anything else. Like, <laughs> I probably am now. But because like, you just can't imagine doing anything else. And you don't want to, we all like to be rich, I think, and have Reese Witherspoon pick up our movies. It's not um, our books to movies. Let's not lie about that. Yeah. But that can't be why you're doing it, I think. No, I probably don't. Yeah, no, I agree. I think you, you have to. And I think it's easy when you are working on the book a year or two books a year or whatever, and you are under the pump and you've got deadlines and you've got publish promotional things you've got to do and places you've got to be and speak at. And while all that stuff is great, it does, like you say, add more pressure. Yeah. And I think you'd have less and less time for the actual writing. So when you sit down to do the writing, it's like you do feel under the pump. And I think that can sap the joy out of it. So you've got to really try and some find some way in your mind to actually go, okay, this is just like a little writing bubble. I'm entering my writing bubble and just try and while you're in there, just really enjoy that process. Yeah, we need to hypnotise ourselves. This, each time this is the actual like writing to write our first book ever, yeah. expectations or anything. But you're right, definitely about like, I think sometimes I look back and think, geez, when I first started writing, or when I was first published like 11 years ago, I had three little kids who one was still at home 
full-time. At the time, part-time, we also had a business in the country that I was sort of working in a bit at the time. And yet I seemed to be so much more productive. I wrote two full-length books a year and usually in the Bella as well. But back then, you exactly hit the mark. And I did have a Facebook page. I don't think Instagram was around, TikTok was not around. So, you know, that's the time factor. But also, nobody knew who I was, so I didn't really have readers that I was interacting with. And I enjoyed that time. I didn't have to go on book tours. We didn't have to do, I love your podcast, don't get me wrong. But even podcasts and stuff like that weren't around. Yeah. And so there was a lot less time pressures just in general, like as a technology and stuff and what you're expected to do. But also the more books you have or the more like you're required to do publicity, that, yeah, that takes time away. And I do not understand authors who manage to go and do an author talk in the library and then write that night. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out of, that's why I really protect my morning, except obviously if I'm on book tour, then things go out the window. If I'm completely in promo promotion time, then it's different. Yeah, but writing time, then I really, I don't know about you, but I really protect my mornings because I know that's when I'm most productive. And if I don't start, I faff around a lot too. Don't let's, let's, a lot of faffing. <laughs> but I also realise it's part of my process. Yeah, yeah. And so actually, let's, that was one of the questions on my list that I wanted to chat to you about is this whole idea of balancing time. Because like you, I am more productive in the mornings in terms of writing. And I got out of that habit for a while, but I'm trying to get myself back into it. So how do you go about structuring your day Okay, with all the different things that you do? You have to be strong, don't you, to structure your day, like to protect your morning. Because when you work from home or you do something like we do, I think people just automatically assume if they've got a day off or they're having a period of time of sabbatical or whatever, that you're, you're free to do whatever they do. Mm. I find that something you really have to, and no other writers necessarily when non-writers don't necessarily understand that, if you say, no, I can't meet you in the morning because I'm writing, they think you can choose. Don't you do that later? Yeah, exactly. What do you mean you're writing? It's not like you're going to the hospital and being doing a nursing shift. You can just do what you like. And that's not exactly the way it works. So how I, you asked how I process or set up my day. Yeah, how do you plan or structure your time? Yeah, I am not really very in terms of, I wouldn't say I'm a very organised kind of person, but when I take a step back, I do definitely have a really, quite a solid routine that I am into now. I'm lucky now all my kids are at school. My oldest is in his last year at school. So that's obviously changed when I had people at home. So I can do this now because it is my full-time job and this is how I structure it. And obviously if it's not your full-time job, you have to do other things. But I will get up in the morning. I'll get everyone made sure that they're older, get everyone ready for school based cleaning out the door. And lucky they go quite early. So I'm back in my, I'm in my desk by about 7.30. And I check my emails, I check Facebook and stuff. I've just started putting on my telephone, going we're old fashioned here, my mobile. <laughs> yeah, in my bedroom during the day because oh, I, okay. you know, the phone, if someone rings the port and it comes actually through, you get a text message. The other day, my son said he wasn't feeling well, but he had to go to school to do one thing. Don't worry, he already had COVID. And he's, uh, I said, if you're going to go to the nurse afterwards, text me first on your way to the nurse because I'm going to have my phone in my room, but the text come to my onto your laptop. Okay. Yeah, by finally putting my phone in the room, like it, it, it stops me easily checking the internet. I'm checking it's social media probably that distracts me more than say the internet. And I know a lot of authors use programs to switch off the internet completely, but I do to look up something, even if words, I sometimes I can't move on if I don't know the right word, which like I'm trying to not do that as much. Like I'll leave little asterisks in my menu. Yeah. But other times I'll look something up. I'm trying to think what I look at today. Something really minor, 
I knew that would take me two seconds to look up and then that I could move forward and I don't have to come back to that. So I don't know. I'll jump in there for a minute. Do you know what I stupidly looked up today? It wasn't the purposes of research. Skin grafts on from burns. Oh my goodness, that would have oh, been. No, that was not a rabbit hole I wanted to go down. When I clicked on images, I should have known. Oh, how traumatic. Anyway, I got out pretty quickly. I was going to say, did it help? It did. It changed a word that I used to describe it, so that was useful. That's <laughs> what I also think. How on earth did pet writers manage before the internet? Being so lazy to go to the library and look something up like that. So my thing around is just like checking the internet and all that kind of stuff. But books out recently, Amazon rankings and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like I actually need, it sounds weird. I know some people think just get straight into it without, but for me, I really just need to do a bit of faffing, if that makes Right. Yeah. And one thing that I really, I do still do that I thought a couple of years ago, okay, I'm going to try and stop myself doing this and it didn't help, is I... And people will go, oh, my goodness, when I say this. But I pretty much read my whole manuscript every day when I sit down to write. I am, I've come back a little bit from that because it takes a long time. If you write, sure, I've said this before, if I read one chapter, it's fine. But if I'm written like 100,000 words and I'm nearing the end, I have to read 100,000 words. By the time I've done that, I feel like I've done a day's work and I can't be bothered to actually be writing. But what I've realized is I think what happened initially, I don't know what you do, I'll be interested in this, is I used to do this because I knew to read like the chapter of the scene that I'd written the day before. And that was really useful because it gets me in, the, like you were saying, with Heather Kang, it gets me in the character, it gets me back in the story, it, it separates me from the faffing of the emails and Facebook or whatever. And I read a little bit to get in the story. And also I do edit along the way, like not big major things, or I may, but I, it does two things. It means that I have quite a clean draft by the time I've finished, mm-hmm. that is mostly free of spelling, grammatical errors and things like that. And it also often inspires me for a scene in the future or it reminds me of something I've written that I've forgotten I've written that then helps me with that scene. It's hard to, so I'm trying, I try to balance, but I do skim read a little bit, like right from the beginning. It's a very weird thing, but then I, I focus mainly on the last scene chapter. So that can take, I probably allow, allow like half an hour only for that what I call zoning. I'm putting myself back in the story. I'm thinking about it, maybe make a few notes about the scene of the, that I'm going to write. And, and then I do spread through the day. So like, I've got this fabulous, I don't know, are we able to see people are listening? Yeah, no, this will be on video as well. Okay, awesome. I've got this really great little whiteboard timer. I saw it on Lucy Score, who's a fabulous. Oh, wow. Um, did you get that? I'm going to, can I take a screenshot look, of that? Right? Just look up white or timer on Amazon. Yeah, I've done not enough work today. I did more than that. <laughs> but, um, but, and so the timer, and this is the other thing, because I said I put my phone in my room, the timer, you just turn it on. It's a very simple timer. Um, you can say I want to do 45 minutes or I want to do half an hour. Oh, so that's this brilliant. Cool. And I've started using this here. I think it's about $75, but it was worth it. So yeah, it's got a timer. And then I just have my goal for the day, which moment I'm aiming for about two and a half thousand words I don't always get there and I don't beat myself up about it now like right. I just I'm trying to really be kind to myself again in the last year or so and I think that's helping and then I do about four or five sprints half an hour and I do usually do it with a friend so we can report back to each other but if not I write it here and I also write it in my diary so that I can see and sometimes it doesn't feel like we're making much progress <laughs> but I can see that I am making progress you're telling up the words yeah and so after that, like, um, that can 30 if I'm really productive or it can take me to 1.30. But I pretty much, I'm realizing now I pretty much stop working at 1.30 on, okay. like, 
main stuff and I'll take my dog for a walk or do some other kind of job. And then in the evening, I might do a podcast talk or social media and stuff. And I'm thinking of the story, but I do that time in the morning is where I get my words. What about you? I'd love to hear your question. So, yeah, I'll go on to that. But uh, question about your sprints. Have you done all your sprints by 1.30 then? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. If, if I'm not, if I haven't made my goal by 1.30, then I don't always meet it. Like sometimes, and that's just what I mean about really just knowing how you're feeling. Yeah. Yesterday was it, I was at like 2,100 words and I could have given up because it was like, one o'clock and I wasn't really sure what I was going to write next. So I was just like, no, I'm still okay to go. So I forced myself. But other times I'll just be like, no, I'm not feeling it. I've written 2,000 words. That's not bad. Yeah. I um, know that's good. Like today, yeah, today I've, I've had 2,500 as my goal. I have written, I think, yeah, yeah I've written just over 2,000, but I'm 400 words short of 2,500. But that's okay because I'm feeling yeah. that the word, and also I feel the words I got were okay and they were moving forward for the story. Yeah. And so are you working, are you trying to finish a scene in that time or are you just, you stop wherever you stop? Yeah, I've very much, um, I'm, as I said, usually write chronologically, probably take a day or two. I've got this thing where I like chapters to be around the 3,000 to 3,500 mark. I don't mind 2,500 to 4,000, but I prefer, if I get over or under, I, I get a little bit, I don't know why, that's just my thing. I don't always stick to it. Because I feel like a book should be as long as it is and a chapter should be as long as it needs to be. There's no point trying to add words to get to three and a half thousand if it's just padding. And the same, yeah, thing, you don't want to be, oh, that's, yeah, like I will, if it's a chapter, it's 2,000, but I think it's all said, then I'll just leave it for now. Maybe I'll add some in editing, who knows. But so I do have parameters, I guess, that I've weirdly set myself, but they're not anything that I would tell anyone else to follow because I really think it's just whatever works for you. But yeah, I will sometimes finish a chapter in a day. Sometimes I will start another one. Like I've just, I finished a chapter like by my second or third sprint today. And that's probably actually why I haven't met my goal because to me, starting a new chapter requires a bit more thinking in a direction. And so then I started writing it, but I wasn't ready to keep going. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And that's why I feel if you give yourself a goal, whether it's a thousand words, 500 words, I can't write more than two and a half thousand. Like some people can write 10,000 words and I understand. But I'm fine if I give myself a goal, I'm much more likely to get close to it. But yeah, I really let not beat myself up about if I don't meet it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I'm the same. I'm definitely trying to get back to that. I haven't, I set myself a goal for this month of 2,000 words. I haven't met it once, 2,000 <laughs> words a day. <laughs> I've not met it once. I think the closest I got was about 1,700. Um, week, but the previous weeks before that, like this book, can this will make you feel better? Last week, yes, please. a really good writing friend. Oh, look, on the 20th of June, it says, Submit a line, Walsh, which is the book that I'm writing. I was last week. I came up to almost 50,000 words at the moment. So clearly oh. it's not actually due. But you know, technically it was due, I think, on June the 1st but or July the 1st. But there's lots of things that have gone on in that. And my publisher doesn't need it actually to said till end of November. Oh, so I've now I've shifted that. But, yeah, that was when I wanted to have it. I did want it to have done by the by then. 
And clearly I'm nowhere near it. It might sound like I'm really productive, but that's not the case. I think, yeah, the highest I've got this month is 1,700 and probably lowest of about 200. And there's been weeks where I've only written like three days instead of five or six. But it's much better than I was doing because although I was in that weird revision period with the, for quite a, quite a long time with because your mind. So I was out of the habit of daily writing. And so that's what I guess I've been trying to get myself back into. But like you now, I'm just trying to settle for, okay, at least you've got something down. You've moved the plot forward, even if it's just a couple of hundred words or if you get eight, I find I'm, I'm getting around a lot of 800, 1000 words days, but I do want to push that up. But, and I think that trying to do those five lots of sprints might help with that. I think how that can actually, like, you can do 500. And I think the more you write, I remember someone probably said years ago, yeah, the more you write, the quicker, you know, or the more you can get into it. And I definitely, because you talk about, you know, doing editing and, and that puts you in a different frame of mind. And yeah, so then get back, depending if you start, even starting a new book, but I was getting back into the book. I had quite big edits, copy edits quite big on my last book and so they took longer than I had planned out and then I got COVID and then I had a week where things were okay and then I just got horrible sick and they're like once get mm. but I found getting back into the book because I'd had such a long time off but it's not just getting back into the book is what you said it's getting back into that routine of actually getting words down and if I have had a time of waking the manuscript whether it's because for whatever reason I won't aim for a a high word count for me, which is two to two and a half thousand words. I'll say, look, I'm just going to try for a thousand per day back to get, just to get back in, in the story. And the reason I do two and a half thousand now is because, as you said, my deadline is like, huh? I used to have stuff written well before the deadline and now I'm always chasing my tail. And so I'm going back to one book a year for a couple of years, but I'd really like to have some space, you know, fits in there to pursue other projects like little novellas again or a different type of. Look, so I tra- that's why I'm pushing myself for that two and a half thousand. But yeah, I, it really has to, you, you just have to do what works. <laughs> yeah, you do. And like you say, there's no point beating yourself up about it. But you were saying before, Rach, that the last year you're finding you, you're trying to get more balance. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I know that there was probably a stage there where you were feeling a little bit burnt out. Really? How's that working out for you? Good. So probably, yeah, probably a year or two ago, I just felt really stressed, I think, I guess, because my book, hey, basically our, our lifestyle, my husband has a job too, luckily, we didn't very much rely on mine income. And so I was, when, I think with creativity um, and everyone's different, I know some people, they manage to just push past it and things are right no matter what. But I had a book where, and I think, if we look back, if I was a therapist or anything, it started before this. But Outback Secrets, which came out last year, took a long time, not a long time for me to write. It took a, a lot out of me. I wrote 30,000 words of one me, uh, one heroine and I just wasn't feeling it. I didn't think it was working. Even though my like friends, the writing close friends who knew about it were saying, no, you've got everything in there. You've got a hero and heroine. You've got conflict. You've got a plot. And just, it's due. It's in your head. And I'm like, I know it is, but I can't do anything about it. And so then I decided again, I wrote 35,000 words and still I'm like, this is just not working. And they were like, you're insane. It's fine. But it wasn't, I can't even explain why it just was not really right to me. And so then, because I'm way getting too close to my deadline, because I've used all this time writing 65,000 words, I like was like, this ha- I have to write a book now and it has to, ma- I have to make it work no matter what, whether I like it or not. And that wasn't an enjoyable 
writing process uh, because I couldn't afford just to say, you know what, I need another six months or a year because this does, we need now my money. for. And so that, I think the pressure of having to be creative for finance really stuffed me up for a few years. So it was a long time coming, I think, I guess what I had to burn out. And it was a long time coming because when we did sell our business and moved to Perth and I suddenly, I told you when I was had three little kids in the business and stuff, I was writing two full-length novels a year and a novella. And so when we sold the business, I stupidly thought, and my kids are all at school and now I'm writing full-time every day, um, that I could do more. And that's like okay. a three-book contract for Mills and Boom, which I'd always wanted to do but never succeeded. And it was too much for me. I just, so then I think I got to the point where I'd, just felt I had no ideas, that I just had no confidence and faith or whatever in my writing, and I knew something has to, it's, you know, this can't go on. And so I did go off social media for a month, which really helped. I went and talked to my doctor, put an anxiety medication, and talked to a therapist a bit about creativity for a while. And then I basically just realized, yeah, it, all the things that we were talking about initially, although I need to make money about for this, what I was doing is not tenable. Like I couldn't continue mm. to do that forever. And I don't want to rush to get a couple of books out, but then they'll be really terrible. And I want this yeah. a long-term thing. So I had to say, no, maybe I do need to only write one book a year for a bit and give myself time to read, relax, remember why I love writing. And yeah, it was a, it was a whole sort of process, but I just realized I was putting too much pressure on myself. I guess that's the thing. And it's and we talk about like, we were saying about you just want to get published initially and then that happens and then it's, oh, that's not good enough. Now I want to get published and see, and I want to be like, and it's like you say, the goalpost keeps moving. Yeah. And that's not good. So one, I, the other thing I've really worked hard on the last year as well, it's sort of finding the joy, which means you're taking the pressure off myself. And if I don't achieve what I set out to achieve in a day, I'm like, that's okay. Maybe tomorrow will be better. Not better. So I'm really trying to be kind to myself, but I'm also trying to remember that the only thing I ever wanted to do was write a book and get it published. And I have done that. And I would like, I always said I'd like to earn a teacher's wage because that's what I was. And I do that. And even if I dropped to one book a year and only published in Australia, probably, unless my readers all, I probably still do that. So I've got to say, step back and go, that's all I wanted. So be happy with what you've got. Enjoy what you've got. And if something else comes, well, actually, I just heard, I saw on page two's Facebook page today. I didn't know this. She's a, I don't think you've had her on the podcast. No, we've talked about trying to get her on, haven't we? Oh, yeah. Listen to her on another Australian podcast. She has been writing, I think, like 15, 20 years, one regular book a year in England. And she's the best-selling author in England. Her books have been published in Australia and she does okay here, I think, too. And yet I just assume that she was published in the US too. But she just published, just posted on Facebook or whatever, that she just signed two books a year, I think it was, with a publisher in the US. I can't remember who, but one of the big five kind of thing and it's her US debut after she said okay time coming after and so you just really just got to keep in the game keep doing not not make all that stuff really matter if it happens I think it's the icing on the cake but yeah does that make sense I've heard of it yeah no it does yeah you just don't know what's around the corner is the thing isn't it and exactly yeah I think you've got to think, like you say, big picture. Like I know I've had periods where, you know, like when I fell out of contract with a shirt and then they didn't want my next book, like really in hindsight, that had a really big impact on my confidence and what I believed I could do and all that sort of stuff. So it took me a long time to get the next book out. 
And I think I'm still suffering a little bit from that lack of confidence with that. Um, And you know what? I think the thing is, and we're probably lucky in a way that we're both been members of the Romance Run of Australia for a while. We've heard that, you know, what happened to you? That's not rare. No, it's not. People that aren't in the industry or are new to the industry, like just think you get one book published and that's it. Now you're a published author. Yeah, you're in. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many, I'm not going to mention names, but someone close to me has just also not been offered a, another contract and it was a real shock to them because they are quite new to the industry. Right, and yeah. No matter what you say though, because I'm like, this is, this happened to a lot of people I know. Mm. And then you could have easily gone, okay, that's it, I'm giving up, I'm walking away. But you didn't because you love what you do and you love the books and the industry. So you continue down a different path and you're still trying the traditional path too, but you've not let it, I can imagine it would have knocked your confidence. But really the thing is, and I think this is what other people readers don't understand, it doesn't have any reflection necessarily on your, you or your book or, or your writing because it's a numbers game. And yeah, so yeah exactly. Last control. And really the only reason people don't get a new contract is not necessarily because the book is not good. It's because for some reason, the numbers didn't sell as yeah. much as the publisher wanted. And there's so many variables who you're up against, what the covers, that most of the time I feel like it's nothing to do with the author. But it's really hard to remember that, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And it's taken me a while to get back on the horse type thing properly. So that's why now I'm really trying to get back into regular writing and plan the next project and just keep going and like really yeah, into the big like picture as well, sorry. I think you're amazing because as well as pursuing your own writing career, you are talking to authors all the time. You do an amazing podcast that helps so many aspiring authors and published authors because I think the writing industry is less solitary than it was. But I think just being able to hear the two sides, as I've said, sometimes social media and stuff that isn't good because you hear out how everyone else is doing it. But also being able to hear that other people have had a similar experience to not you personally, but whatever. Yeah, yeah that someone writes a similar way to you or just so what you're doing is really valuable so we appreciate it and unfortunately they can some time away from your writing so hopefully yeah yeah we're talking about balance so for me I guess I did initially when I particularly when I took the podcast over by myself and Kel was off went off to do her own thing with her podcasting work I guess it it was a good procrastination tool for me in a way too because I mean oh no I can't do too much writing because I'm doing the podcast. Whereas this writing world, and I, that yes. yeah, yeah, doing stuff like I'm saying, oh, I'm doing book club work. That's in the writing zone, even. But really, yeah, getting the words down is what we need to be doing. Yeah, so I'm that's how I'm trying to flip that. So this year, I'm trying to do well. Not, I haven't done as much this year as I'd like, but I am definitely now trying to, particularly in the second half of the year, make sure that the mornings are just for writing. And then try and do the podcasting and teaching stuff in the afternoon and try and just get that balance. And also the balance with other things you want to do. Spend time with your family, walk your dog. I've got horses, ride my horse, see my mum. I've got an elderly mum. And you've got to allow for that balance. Exactly. Actually, when you asked about balance, I forgot that one other thing I did this year, which I think really helped, is I started sewing again. Like I had sewn. Oh, I saw that. that. Because I realised when I talked to the therapist about my creativity, that Everything in my life was related to books or writing. Yeah. Ah. Or, or whatever, who I see once in a blue moon. I talk to them reading online. But my close friends are writing friends. When we get together now, what do we talk We do talk a bit about kids and husbands. and We're talking about books we've read. We're talking about how our writing is going. My free time, because I love reading, my go-to is to listen 
to an audio if I'm cleaning it. This yeah. Year. Uh, uh, to do with writing or a book, audio book. And then if I'm actually relaxing, there's nothing to me that's better to relax than reading a book, but it's still, you can never, as a runner, you can't switch off. I think you're reading a book, you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is amazing. How'd they do this? And you're trying to, oh, <laughs> mine's there. And the other thing, I worked part-time last year in an attempt to, or a couple of years ago, in an attempt to try and you know, get out a bit more and to do something else. But I chose the job in a bookshop. <laughs> of course. It's book related. Like even if I bought a puzzle, it would be books and cats. Yes, yeah. I realized that and so I made a conscious decision this year to remember something that I used to love, which was sewing and I used to love doing handcrafts and things like that. So I went back and I'd been doing sewing every Wednesday and it means that I've lost a day of writing, but I think I've gained so much more because I've given myself space. And when you're sewing, you yeah. can't, I can't because I'm not that amazing at it. I can't be thinking, that's the, probably the time I switch off from thinking about my book. And so I think that's really good for me. So I feel like, yeah, doing other things aside from pursuing. And even like when I was an aspiring writer, I remember and I had little kids who were trying to find things. I mean, I'm sure you relate to this. I wouldn't even almost give myself permission when to read a magazine or something. But it was like, if I have any free time, I should be writing because that's mm-hmm. what I'm. And so now I'm really like, no, I probably read, give myself too much time to read. And I'll, but I've really. Yeah, worked on not making it everything to me. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm the same. And like you say, when with the sewing, how it just you have to be in the zone. You're fully concentrating. It's the same with riding a horse. Yeah. If you're not <laughs> fully conscious about what you're doing, you'll probably end up on the ground. So it's great because it completely it's outdoors. It's exercise. It takes you right away. Exercise is really key too. That's yeah, good. I've really worked hard on that the last year as well. Because, yeah, it's amazing how that helps your, not just your health because we sit in the chair all day and that's not good physically, but I think when, when your pilot mind can wander. I'm pretty bad, though. I get bored easily exercising, so I do usually listen to a podcast or something. I know that the best thing for us probably to do is to completely let your mind wander, but I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't do it very often either. I do listen to a lot of audio books and bored. podcasts. I know. So let's, because we've got a little bit more time, I think, before you've got to dash off to do the school pickup. But talking about extra things that we're doing, you do have a few things connected to writing that you are doing. So your readers group and your readers retreat that's coming up next year. And you're also on the committee for Romance Writers of Australia, which is coming up in August. Can you talk a little bit about those things? Yes. So thank God I cut down to one book a year. (laughs) Because yeah, I'm on the committee for the Fremantle Romance Writers of Australia Conference in Fremantle. Yeah, there's still time to get tickets depending on when you air this, I think. Yeah, Um, it'll go out in a couple of weeks. Yep. Talking about process, I'm really excited. I'm interviewing uh, Kelly Rimmer, Zoe uh, York, who's a big independent published author, and Macy Yates, who is a big romance author, about you know their process and their careers and the highs and lows. I'm also doing a pantsing workshop myself, Embrace Your Inner Pantser, and there's so much on the on there. So it's getting it's gearing up in my office here in the back. I've got stuff for the conference, so it's starting to get close now. I realise only seven or eight weeks or something, so getting a bit scary but yeah it's going to be fantastic really looking forward to doing that and I think it helps you like going to a conference really helps you be inspired and remember the buzz as you can be to many with me as well like the buzz of being around other people that get you and are talking about books and writing and it's just it's amazing high that I think helps you continue a few months yeah it's inspiring yeah for sure looking forward to that and then yeah I have a really strong Facebook book club 
a reading group with my friend Anthea Hodgson, who's also an author. And so we do regular monthly book club lives and we do Aussie authors in there, mostly women. And so that's really great. But yeah, that takes time to read the book and then work out the questions and do our live chat. And also we usually interview the author in the group too. So all those things like it takes time. But what we're really super excited about, and it's joyous time. Like I really love every time, every minute I spend in the book club, whether it's commenting on posts from day to day or doing our live chat once a month. So that is why we decided that we would do a in-person retreat, which is happening in Handorf in South Australia next May. We have got tickets available at the moment. You can go to Rachel Jones online book club retreat. I think not online, just Rachel Jones book club retreat if you want to join. Uh, we've got, I think, 11 or so or other authors that are coming. Are you coming, Pam? I'm just... Oh, yeah, I, was coming. Like, I, thought, I was going to say Pam's coming, you know, I thought. <laughs> no, I am coming. Yeah. Already on the calendar for next year. Yeah. I'm super excited. And the reason I did it is because I think anyone who's listened to this show and heard me um, talk or heard my interview with Ellen Hildebrand is that I'm super fan of her. And she has a bucket weekend every year with the readers group. And so does, I think, Debbie McComer and Susan Mallory and Brendan Novick, people of US women's fiction romance authors often run these like readery weekends where their readers all get together. I was, no one wants to just come out and hang with me. So let's make it a book club thing. And yeah, it's become bigger than I thought. And we've got like lots of authors coming, there'll be panels. So it's like a reader conference really. Yeah. Uh, and there is a little bit of, anyone wants to learn how to write a book. We're having a, a quick workshop about the basics of science. Right. Also, we get a couple of book reviewers who are going to do a little bit how to write book reviews and how to that build your review platform and get connections with publishers and things like that. So it should be good, I think. So no, it's something different. I think it's a great idea and get readers and authors to get it and just hang out. Fantastic. A bit of a lull at the moment, which is good because I'm trying to write my current book. But initially when we first decided to do that, yeah, that was quite a, a time-consuming thing because we had to set up insurance, work out the venue and the budget to make sure it was going to all that find a venue. So it was quite time consuming and then I think it'll, it'll get more time consuming again in the lead up and obviously the weekend. But yeah, it's a game. These things are often fun. I'm sure you love doing your podcasts and stuff, but they do take time away from our actual, like the thing that is our job and that's writing the book. Yeah. Yes, I agree. So I've been obviously doing the podcast and one thing I found great this year and you've been in in the hot seat or and even last year you interviewed Ellen Hildebrand and you're going to do some more interviews and that's having guest hosts has been great for me because I'm someone who whenever I interview an author if it's about their book or about their writing process of course I love and feel like I really want to and need to read the book before I talk to them but and of course I'm always getting books sent to me by the publishers which is great but I just do not have the time to read so many books. Um, exactly what you need. Like an advanced reading copy sent too. And I'm so, I'm, I'm joy, joyful when I see them and I'm so like excited that they arrive. But then I feel this pressure because I'm like, oh my gosh, I really should read that book. And I just have no time. So I think yeah, one of the good things about you, your podcast is you can tell. Yeah. Yeah. And I think being a writer yourself, you also you have specific questions as a writer that you want to ask so that it really fine tunes it. But Having the guest hosts has been great. So obviously I still edit, but I've yeah. gotten better at the editing process. That's gotten quicker. And I also do the business of writing or the heart of writing episodes yep. where I don't necessarily have to read anything. I just prepare the interview. So yeah, that's yeah. really helped in 
cutting down on the time because I want to keep it to month uh, to weekly episodes. Yes. Because I'm like, I'm so excited when there's another episode of right. But the other thing, like you were saying before about not beating yourself up, I thought if push comes to shove and I can't get an episode one out one week, sorry, there just won't be one. Like recently I went to Fiji and I was going to really pushing it to get an episode finished and scheduled and everything before I went and it just didn't happen. I thought, no, it's just not going to be an episode this week. And if anyone like actually dared to say anything or complain, really <laughs> don't listen to them because yeah. say what you're doing is really it's a it's a voluntary yeah for doing and a service to other writers you know out there and yet to get when it's interesting but still yeah you definitely shouldn't feel the pressure to do any of that yeah yeah and it, you want it to be enjoyable so that's where I've taken a bit of a not a step back but just found a new way yeah. of doing that and then I'm doing online teaching with the Australian Writers Centre but I've been very good I've cut back I've said no to a few courses they wanted me to do and I'm finishing off the write your novel for the year yep. course in September and then I've just said no more for the rest of the year because I really want to get this book finished and try and get that focus back onto the writing because I feel like I have let it shift onto other things a bit too much. And it's hard because I'm sure like when you're teaching I know when I've done minimal workshops and things like that though it really it a inspires me but also makes me think and when I'm talking things through with other aspiring writers and stuff, I learn myself when it makes Yeah, sense. exactly. It is good for you, what you're doing, but it's yeah. Like, yeah, sort of prioritising, isn't it? But reading the podcast also, I think we would all rather you continued than felt the pressure coming too much. So if you did have to miss a week or so there, it's better to do that than to not give up completely. Yeah. And if you want, no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As usual, Rich, we've talked a lot and gotten through very few of the list of things that we were going to talk about. So I'm just thinking maybe we need to do a part two of this chat. Okay. Um, yeah, but before we wrap up this one, what are you reading and what have you been loving in books lately? Oh, okay. I feel silly saying this because I just said how much I'm fangirling, but I have literally just finished Ellen's latest, to which I talked, uh, I remember I was yes. reading when I talked to her, um, and that's The Hotel Nantucket, which is uh, a book set and a newly opened, reopened hotel in Nantucket that had a fire a hundred years ago. And so there's a ghost and I love anything to do with ghosts. I've also just finished the book club. We just did The Good Mother by Ray Ken. And I just, yep. I read that so quickly. I just loved it so much. And I think the pace was amazing. It was never a dull moment. Perfect amount of, a bit of romance in the family dramas and the crime. So yeah. I really loved those two books lately. I've I've just finished on audio, Book Lovers by Emily oh, Hem- Henry. Absolutely loved it. I reckon it is probably one of the best rom-coms I've ever read or I listened to it, but the voice of the narrator was fantastic. And I, I just found myself laughing all the time and I loved the main character. Have you read um, I can't remember what you said. I haven't read any of her others, so I'm going to go back and read them now. I listened to Beach Read and that was an amazing listen, but just so clear. It's just. Her stories feel like they have so much depth. Yes. And the remote romance has depth and it's beautiful, heartwarming. And I, I think you should definitely get her on the podcast. On my, I have emailed her. Oh, good. Because on my wall, I've got a whole load of different little quotes from various people. And there's one from her that I heard in a podcast. And she said, it's not how big the stakes are, it's how personal they are. And that uh-huh. really with me because I think so much of you know, in writing we're thinking oh we better up the conflict we better give our characters traumatic horrible past that they have to recover from and that whole just making things personal and meaningful to that person maybe 
It is just something that is minor to everyone else, but it matters so deeply to them because that character. And I just think, yeah, she does that really well to show you. you know, and I like that. I think that's what I like about her books because it doesn't have to be so backstory angsty and stuff, but it's real and meaningful. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I felt she did a really good job in Book Lovers with the, the backstory, but then not letting it overpower the story, but really helped you to understand the character and why she acted the way she did. thought it was really clever. Yeah. And I'm currently reading, as I said, I'm reading the Taylor Jenkins read. I've got that on from <laughs> NetGalley. And I'm also reading Natasha Lester's upcoming book, The Three Lives of Alex St. Pierre. So. In my pile of arcs. Yeah. I'm going to say you must try and get Taylor Jenkins read on as well. Watch this space because I am. That's how I ended up getting a copy of it on NetGalley and in discussions with the publicist. Let's say. I'm hoping that. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let you go, Rach, because I know you need to do school pickup. It's been so good chatting. Yeah, you too. I really enjoyed this. Hopefully, it's all right. <laughs> yeah, no, it'll be great. And I think, yeah, we have got it still a whole lot we didn't cover. So maybe in a couple of weeks, we can have another chat. You can do that. All right. Okay. Thanks, Rach. See ya. Thanks for listening to Rights for Women. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest. If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. Don't forget to check out the backlist on the Rights for Women website. So much great writing advice in the library there. And you can also find the transcript of today's chat on the website too. You can find details on the website on how to support the podcast through Patreon and get exclusive access to the extended audio and video of the monthly craft episode. And you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com, on Instagram and Twitter at W4W Podcast, the Facebook page Rights for Women. Find me and my writing at pamelacook.com.au. Have a great week, and remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end. <laughs> <laughs>